Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Welcome back to this weekly episode where I'm joined by Anirban of 7investing. This week, we're talking all different types of stuff. We're talking Netflix's earnings miss. We're talking about Altium's botched takeover. We're talking about a few companies to put on your watch list, including an ASX technology company and a global technology company. And we also talk about innovation, the impacts of the Delta variant of of COVID, what it means for hospitalizations, Freedom Day, and the world resuming regular programming. Are there any opportunities that will arise? I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Be sure to reach out to Anaban or myself via Twitter and keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening. Anirban, thanks for joining me, mate. It's always a pleasure. 
Matt, pleasure is all mine. Um, you know, the only thing I was going to say to you is, you know, I'm not going to say this in a fun, I'm not going to make fun of this, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say that you and I both are in lockdown. Mm-hmm. So how better to spend time but to actually do a podcast? Oh, why not? You can do it anywhere, anytime. And we'll try and keep it on time this this week. Um, <laughs> we've come in with, so the way we generally prepare is we have a Google document and then we have the podcast when we're doing it remote. And this week we've pasted in five URLs and that's all we're going with. Um, today we are talking about um, what we've been working on. We're going to talk about Altium's, um, I'm going to say it's like a f- botched takeover offer from Autodesk. Autodesk have terminated it. Um, Netflix misses earnings. Bezos went to space, which touched on we touched on um, Sir Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic last week. And then we're talking about the Delta variant and market turbulence. Uh, and then we might just close out with some stock ideas for your watch list. So, top of the show, we want to say you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Owen Rask. Um, Anirban is at Seven A Mahanti. So you'll find all of that in the show notes. Jump onto Twitter. We've been talking to everyone. Um, last week we we're talking about treasury wines. Heaps of stuff to talk about on Twitter, right? Absolutely. Then I again encourage echo everything that Owen said. Just come to Twitter, talk to us, ask us questions, give us questions, give us ideas, mm. and we will bring them give to the ideas. show. We love your ideas. Yeah, give us ideas. Yeah, we yeah. we would steal your ideas and bring them here, but we will acknowledge that we took your ideas and we'll you know if you if you're willing, <laughs> we'll put your name out. <laughs> yeah. So we actually had an email come in from Stephen, who said at a positive podcast idea we should have a nightmare on warms wall street so an episode where we kind of have a bit of fun with the the stock market and what would happen if wall street closed down i even said maybe we could even talk about the conspiracies that happen in stock markets around bots market manipulation leaky ships the end of fiat currency you name it um so so much to talk about those are the types of quirky ideas we want to hear as well as companies that you want us to take a look at and chat about um with i think the, the hardest thing for us is just narrowing down what you want to hear um, because you know there are so many things that happen in markets so much noise we want to focus on the key points for for your week if you're an investor so um i thought we'd just kick off um what we've been working on lately maybe i'll throw it over to you first mate Um, last week you said you were working on emerging markets and payments for seven investing doing a report um is that are you still working on that or what are you you doing the last seven days no, so that report is out. Uh, actually, really out. like that report because, um, yeah, because you know, there's some very interesting things there. I'll just you know, without going into too much detail, um, the the payment infrastructure in emerging markets is completely different from the payments infrastructure here. And uh, and when I say here, I mean like sort of the developed market uh, payment in infrastructures, whether it's Australia or Europe, uh, Western Europe, and and North America. But that really creates opportunities, and that you know that that write-up was really all about that um yeah but now i'm focused on sort of finding our uh, you know working on our uh, recommendations for or working on my recommendation for august uh and, and you know that's that's happening how does that that's, work do you do it do you come up with the idea yourself or and do you do the full research yourself then present it to the team or do they do you work together collaboratively i know you do one idea each a month but how does that work yeah so we, we each independently pitch an idea um, as, as, as a, to the team, and we sort of have we have a stock presentation uh, which we actually make available to 
um, our members, and it sort of gives you an idea of, of the thinking uh, behind the idea we have uh, pitched. And uh, one of the things that happens during this call is that you know we get asked questions by you know colleagues and you know other advisors, and based on those ideas, I guess you know it, it's quite possible maybe that <laughs> the idea you pitched is not good, uh, <laughs> or that there is something that you forgot about or something that you should look into. So you know that sort of helps with you know refining the thinking um, behind um, uh, behind sort of the idea but you know like last month's idea without going again into too much detail last month i had a I, you know i thought it was a really interesting idea uh, but there was an interesting very interesting question that was asked which you know which made me do some thinking there was an aspect mm. that i hadn't really thought about in at least in that particular fashion and that made me you know do some do some comp work basically compare uh, a company today with a, a you know prior companies you know going back in time and sort of thinking about the trajectory and how you know how sort of growth has happened and what has you know how did those companies mature over time and I think that's something very interesting because it sort of gives you perspective right and you know again those sort of things and and then I you know, one of the things I like about this is that it gives you an opportunity to write something. So, you know, you do some research, you do your modeling or you know, whatever work you're doing on spreadsheet, and uh, and then you can write about it and sort of explain what, what you came uh, came out with. So, anyways, that was that was interesting stuff. So, that, that's sort of the I I really like the stock pitch part of what we do because that sort of mm. makes ideas interesting and sort of the research, you know, it sort of brings, it opens up the research to a large extent. It gives extent. you a chance to get feedback right and fill in the blanks absolutely yeah 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 cool i like it um we're we're trying to do something similar with the the analyst team now where it's it's a bit more top down with us so i think with it's more so me directing some of the the guys that are newer analysts to the team just directing them um and then checking in every week as a group um i think one of the things where I think one of the things where I see a lot of funds fall down is that it becomes too much of decision by committee. And oftentimes when you have a committee making decisions, you actually, you often end up losing your edges because the edge that you might have as an investor can kind of be rounded off by other investors who have an influence over too much of an influence over your decision-making. And what I'm, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to seek feedback. I think it's really, really positive, but um, I think for investors' sake too, whether they're say joining Seven Investing or they're joining Rask, it's also good to know who's making the decision. Um, I feel like that's for transparency. It's also really good too. But yeah, so we've that's what basically we've been doing. Um, we've been doing those internally and trying to figure out how we can scale our research. So um, what I specifically mean is typically at Rask because we've had such a small team for a long time. Like we've been a startup. It's been me, Catherine, Kevin, um, but now we're expanding the team. It's how do we go from being super high conviction and using a lot of tools to narrow down that funnel to then broadening the, the product suite, like having we've got rockets and now invest service, while also maintaining that conviction. Um, it's, 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 it's a tough thing, but it's something that I've got to work on. Basically, specifically in the last week, we've actually been working on releasing some of our quarterly reports and rocket reports. And one of those I'm going to talk about at the end of the show. So keep listening and you'll find out uh, one of the companies that we passed on and why we passed on it. Maybe, mate, um, the first key point of the show is 
Autodesk terminating with Altium. We've talked about this before. We've talked about the takeover offer. There's takeover offers left, right, and center on the ASX <laughs> right now. You can't turn a page in the AFR, even if it's a digital page, without seeing something about a takeover offer. What happened here? Do you reckon? Um, well, the speculation is that you know th- this was not there on the in the release that uh, Autodesk provided. So Autodesk basically, I think, went back to Altium with maybe a dollar or two more than what they had originally offered, and Altium said no, and Autodesk said okay, thank you, good luck, we wish you all the best, <laughs> and basically walked walked over, uh, left. This, yeah, I, I think this, you know, this is this is this is going to be a test of the board and management, right? Because you know, if now the next several years don't pan out as they might imagine is going to pan out, <laughs> then, uh, you know, investors are going to be really, really grumpy that you got this offer at a pretty substantial um, a premium to the then trading price, which you just, you know, uh, let be. So again, we're going to know this in the fullness of time. But again, looks like they were not happy with the price. I was not really sure. We discussed this last time. So, you know, and you and I both sort of agreed that the price sort of was right. Um, mm. And, you know, any more than this sounds like paying way too much. But I guess uh, Altium's board thinks otherwise. And Yeah, there's a, you know what is a little bit bizarre about this? And we've said that based on the valuation and based on management's recent execution, the risks in China, um, just currencies, everything, you name it it doesn't look like they're going to meet their own forecasts. So, and they need to meet those forecasts to get to a base valuation, which is, to be honest, probably still below the current price. So this is, then what made this bizarre, I found, was that Altium then came out when there was speculation of a $40 bid, which was up from the $38.50. This is a quote from Chairman Samuel Weiss, who says, in response to media speculation today, Altium Limited advises that it has not received any further offer from Autodesk. All details relating to the Autodesk offer have been disclosed by the company in its ASX announcement released to the market on 7 June 2021. But then, now I'm just, this is fast forward to July 20. Uh, there's a quote from the Autodesk website from CEO uh, Andrew Anagnost, I think is how you pronounce it. It says, Autodesk has a long track record of, track record of disciplined strategic acquisitions. The quote goes on to say, while we did verbally improve our initial proposal, we were unable to agree on the basis to advance discussions. We respect the leadership team at Altium and wish them the best, best with their business, end quote. So I feel like there was another offer, um, even if it was a verbal <laughs> offer. Um, so maybe AFR reporting $40 an offer did actually well, happen. Well, there's there's a there's an interesting thing here, right? So, if given what Altium uh, has said, as you mm-hmm. quoted based on uh, the quote, and given what um, Autodesk has said, there's a question of you know continuous disclosure. And you know, I mean, mm. I'm not a big fan of the continuous disclosure personally, uh, because I think it creates some uh, <laughs> uh, loopy effects, after effects. But this one, this you know, is an offer discussion. I would expect this is definitely a disclosure item, at least in my mind. But you know, maybe they th- they thought that since it's not a written offer, it doesn't need disclosure and has been terminated. So, I mean, anyway, it's very interesting. I think. <laughs> Yeah. So you'll know. Yeah, it's um, it's actually one that I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive in tomorrow. Um, I'm actually going to do the valuation for our members live and show you how it kind of shakes out. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday, July 21, by the way. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a fascinating thing. So the rumor was the offer was at forty dollars. I'm looking at this now, and it looks like Altium shares are back down around thirty three dollars. So still higher than twenty seven. 
or <laughs> whereabouts yeah. they were they were tra you know traveling. So people still think that there's going to some miraculous uh, alternative offer show up, right? Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. So, um, yeah, well, I guess the good the the takeaway here is that if you still own Altium, you still own Altium. So it's um, <laughs> it's still a business that's profitable if it management can deliver then um, maybe it goes on to justify itself. They're very confident in their ability to execute. So if you back them, you know, maybe it works out from here. Next uh, topic for today's conversation, next URL in the document is Netflix earnings. Um, this is interesting because this is right in your wheelhouse, mate. Um, I'll just read some headline numbers here that I got from CNBC. Earnings per share, $2.97 versus $3.16 expected. So that's below the expectations. Revenue of 7.34 billion versus the 7.32 expected. So slight beat there. Global paid net subscriber additions, 1.54 million versus 1.19 expected. So better than expected. Basically, earnings didn't hit. The other two did hit. Um, everyone knows what Netflix does. It's obviously a streaming service, um, but there's uh, they have flagged more of a move into gaming. Right in your wheelhouse, mate. What do you expect? What what? Do, I know you don't set expectations necessarily for every quarter, but what did you make of this, generally speaking? Yeah, so I guess there's a teaching moment here for us uh, to help uh, investors, or at least those who are beginner investors uh, or early stage investors. You know, um, I love these headlines when they say that missed expectations, right? So basically, mm -hmm. a bunch of analysts came together, and um, uh, you know, there is a consensus. That's basically the average of the median earnings per share estimate of, let's say, 30 people. And uh, it's a win for the company if it beats that median <laughs> or average, mm -hmm. and it's a miss for the company if it actually doesn't make that number. Now, I would be okay if you called it a miss if the company gave a guidance and then mm. the company missed the guidance. But if the company didn't give the guidance and it was a bunch of people, other people <laughs> who probably don't know the business as well, then I don't know what it means. Uh, so um, I think those are very beautiful headlines which we uh, should ignore. Uh, I think the thing to note here is, um, you know, there's still like, you know, doing $7 billion of revenue. Uh, it's profitable, um, you know, at least has earnings per shares that it can report. And, um, you know, it's, it's 200 million plus subscribers it's got already. And I think the main point, you already hit the main point. The main point is that they're going to get into gaming, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about the Netflix journey, long the long-term journey started with mailing DVDs with only an online interface for selecting those DVDs. Then it started with streaming in a really small way, small catalog, expanded that catalog over time by doing deals with others, then started making its own content, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and that even when they make made its own content, they made the content with others and they had licensing arrangements and so on and so forth, even for those uh, those things. And eventually, you know, they had, you know, they basically took broader global license and now they're going into gaming and they're going to exploit their IP or their intellectual property in terms of, um, you know, all the content that they have on their uh, platform. So this is like, you know, maybe the fourth incarnation of, uh, or, you know, uh, you know, pivot, of, of a form or the other of the company, right? And I think long-term, what's interesting is that this is being led by a person who came from Facebook, who was leading their virtual reality and augmented reality uh, division. And it's interesting because I, I think 
longer term, I've always thought that Netflix is going to go in a big way into augmented reality, virtual reality, and, and you know, you'd have these content streaming experience that would, you know, be an augmented reality form or a virtual reality format. And gaming probably is the is is a great place to start this. So I think this is, again, showing company that's innovative over time, right? And this is the main mm-hmm. thing. The main journey is that innovative companies keep innovating. And as long as they're innovating, they could continue to be good bets. And I'm not saying that you should go out and buy uh, um, uh, Facebook shares, uh, sorry, um, uh, Netflix shares. But yeah. Yeah. it's um, So Reed Hastings, founder of Netflix. Um, what I love um, is you can still access the original Netflix culture deck on online so you can go and you can see they've got this huge slide deck about what defines their culture and some of the things are like high performance honesty always was one that they got a bit of pushback on like honesty always because in a room of high performance people adding mediocrity to that actually brings down the average and so they're always talking about you know even if it's brutal honesty it's 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 honesty and if you, you know, there's, there's plenty of books about this too. So um, I would encourage you, if you're interested in in Netflix and its innovation and, and its ability to attract and retain talent, have a look at that culture deck because it's fascinating. And we actually studied it on a retreat for Rask that we had earlier this year. Um, but just zooming out a bit and coming back to the actual topic at hand, which is um, basically this transition away from a focus on like net ads for um you know, for, for, for subs, really, it's, it's mainly now moving across to, okay, how can we take what we're already doing and make it even better? Um, and you, we, we see this with Apple Arcade, right? Like Apple Arcade mm-hmm. um, has subscriptions and, and whatever, and you can access 100 games for free and, and all that stuff. And then you've got Facebook with Oculus and it's push. You can now go to facebook.com and alongside your social media chats have be playing one of the games in there. Um, and so... Netflix isn't the only one. And I think, you know, if we go back a few years, we could see that the way this was going was that imagine your movie, but you pick the ending Um, or something like that where you can get some more interaction with the content. And I thought it was really interesting. There's There's a statement in here from Reed Hastings. It basically says we're not going to rely on, you know, consumer goods or other features like that. What we're going to rely on is basically our own intellectual property as well. So we're going to take the expertise we have, take the great products and storylines that we have, and how do we make that better? Um, and I think that's fascinating. Um, I don't really have a view on who wins it, but I'm quite happy owning Apple. I don't think it'd be a winner takes all. I think there's going to be many different places to get this. But having Netflix on your TV, on your phone, on your iPad, um, it definitely puts it in a, in a seat. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, the Black Widow movie? The Scarlett Johansson one. I'm not sure if you're into Marvel. I haven't seen it, actually. Yeah, so you you can. I paid full freight for this, by the way, so I don't know if I'm a sucker, but um, $36, you can can pay to stream it. And basically, this is through Disney, so this is a Disney, Marvel's Disney, but it's the same concept. You can actually get advanced access, so go around the cinema. And because we're in lockdown, I didn't think we'd be able to get to the cinema anyway. Um, But I'm really interested to see where that goes, too. So... This is the not the first instance, but one of those instances where these big entertainment companies are cutting straight through the distribution of like, you know, the road shows and all that type of stuff, and going straight to consumers with new content that way that they pay extra for. Um, 
yeah, I just think there's a lot of levers in an attention economy that these businesses have that people haven't really explored yet. I'm not sure if it's the gaming companies like Activision, um, Ubisoft, any of those. I'm not sure if it's those that win, um, but it's fascinating. Anyway, I kind of geek out of this stuff. Sorry, mate. Uh, no, I think I, I love that. And, it, you know, I, I'd probably agree with you. It's probably not winner stakes all. It's probably a market. It's so big, right? Gaming is a huge market. Like, massive. You know, it's a, such a massive market. There are multiple players. And there's a lot of regional um, turfs as well, as well in, in yeah. gaming, right? So what works in Japan does not probably work elsewhere. What works in China does not work elsewhere and things yeah. like that. So, but yeah, love this stuff and it's great. I, I just think, you know, that culture deck is really is interesting. I think that it sort of speaks to Netflix's very innovative style of, um, you know, going about doing business and building in company. So, yeah, yeah. because it seemed, and this is the thing, Netflix seems so simple. If I think if you look at Netflix, you're like, why didn't we have this 20 years ago? I mean, other than say the internet, like it seems so simple. Like, yeah, just scroll through, pick pick a movie, watch a movie. Makes sense, right? Um, but that's actually, there's so much engineering and pioneering that went into that um, to bring that, I guess, intuitive product to us today. Um, if they can do the same thing with gaming, we know that there's a huge bell curve that's moving um, from left to right through the age demo that want that love games like i'm a gamer i love gaming um and the ability to pick my own ending with a with some goggles on would be super cool so um really interesting speaking of nerding out over things from one to another last week we spoke about virgin galactic richard branson taking a space flight blue origin also has now can now count itself as going to space with bezos riding in the new shepherd do you want to tell us about this, mate? Because I, I didn't actually yeah, watch it live. I'm not, no, I didn't watch it live either. <laughs> you know, Branson basically, uh, I, I guess, one up here. But what was interesting is you, you talked about this last time. Actually, I remember this. Yeah, you know, the Carmen line, right? Which is what, 85 uh, kilometers or something like that? Yeah. Or yep. Is it 85 kilometers? It's, yeah. It's about so that. This yeah, one actually, about 80Ks. Yeah, yeah. 80Ks. So this one uh, was, was above that, right? And they spent... It, the total journey was about 10 minutes. So they must have been like, you know, I guess weightless for a few minutes max. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, they could have seen, you know, through, this, through the glass uh, windows, they might have seen, you know, beautiful scenery of the earth. So, I mean, this is, I think this is showing that this tech is getting there. And, you know, good demonstration. They had, you know, selected they've selected people that there was an 18 year old, there was an 81 year old and, you know, Bezos himself. And I think Bezos' brother, right. Uh, were the people who went in this. So, so what I think is interesting to me is what comes next, right? Mm. That's really, you know, where is, you know, Virgin Galactic looking, how's it going to monetize? You know, the, says if you think about Virgin Galactic, the current plane can only fit like what, I think eight people, right. Mm. Um, can you have a bigger plane that can fit like, you know, 16 or 24 or whatever, not number of people, then maybe does that change the economics of uh, doing this? Does it make it, you know, does it in increase the um, the addressable market, right? There's only be so many people who are going to be willing to pay, you know, <laughs> uh, several million dollars uh, to to go to space for like, you know, a few minutes, right? And it's a joyride for, 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 for very, very rich people. So, I think that's the next steps are really interesting, but I think that the, the this is technology demonstrators that have demonstrated that this is possible, and um, yeah, I think it's really cool. And again, the race I think is is open, 
uh, in terms of you know what next really it's it's the what next is what i'm really really interested in seeing is you know what you know are we going to be doing mining in the space or are we going to be doing you know regular journey to the space station or is the space station going to be sort of like a uh, a transit point to go somewhere right are those things going to become more and more common you know when i say more and more common but you know is it something that's beyond um you know a few billionaires uh you know does it does it expand to others and how and and what are the other sort of you know lateral benefits what inventions do these things um, bring about so those are things that i'm i'm interested in but i think really cool that bezos also went um yeah and there were some jokes going around on the internet which is oh, I, I love you know the twitter can be fun so um you know uh, while uh, bezos was on earth uh, momentarily oh sorry was in space momentarily elon musk was the richest person on earth <laughs> <laughs> because Bezos was in space, <laughs> so 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 you gotta love uh, gotta love these you know sort of lines that go around on on Twitter. So um, yeah, so come on Twitter and have some fun. Yeah, I am um, actually. I remember when I was on Seven Investing the other day. I think Simon intro- uh, interviewed an astronaut, a NASA astronaut, a while ago. I think it's about two years back, and I found that it was only a fifteen minute chat female i can't remember her name but um really impressive um because if you think about innovation like you said these guys are flying literally rockets into space that are landing um and people are coming back alive like this is incredible stuff and um to think about that um and the implications for that for investors for society incredible stuff so actually i haven't watched the video so i'm actually going to go and watch that after we jump off the call but fascinating stuff there mate um so there is probably the big topic in front of everyone is basically you know we're back in lockdown here we are the delta variant (laughs) we've heard a lot about it um meanwhile we still have the fears of inflation um unvaccinated people i think you mentioned in the show notes here that singapore's gone back to tighten its restrictions because they did let everyone out and i know that because lachlan who um is a contractor for the rest media site was having a beer the other day when we were uh, when we were chatting and um at the pub in singapore and i'm guessing he's not there right now so i don't know <laughs> I, i'm i'm it's just there's a lot to take in right now um how do you make sense of it how do you make sense of going back into lockdown you know so a lot of political argy-bargy around this as well yeah so we, no we're not a political podcast so we didn't go into the politics of this but i mean i think what is i guess in the i think the market fears right so the market like so dow for example and you know well that we can talk about this another day dow tumbled by x number of points uh but you know only a few percentage points maybe a couple of percentage points but you know the the dow tumble was also partly related to a you know on one hand inflation fares and the other hand you know sort of delta variant and um the potential for delta variant to actually cause for the lockdowns right so you now what i think everyone is watching is what's going to happen in you know the so-called freedom day in um in um, in the UK, where masks and everything is going to come off, it it, it sounds a little bit. It, it's you know like it's a, it's like it's being it's being built as the Freedom Day, where you know everything is going to be open and you can just you know, you know they feel confident that they've vaccinated enough number of people, and there's just concerns about that. But again, what is what I think is ironic is the Freedom Day is is launching at almost the same time. Actually, there has been some further restrictions for French folks to get. 
uh, to travel into UK because there's some other variant apparently in 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 France. There's not Delta. I don't know. I've, I've now lost count of the mm. Alpha, Beta, Gamma variants that are going around. But apparently there's a Lambda variant that is now taking hold in. Uh, I think it's Lambda in. Um, in France, and then you know, so the British people are, for example, worried about this particular variant. So it's a little bit of a of a situation. Um, I read, I think the Canadian news actually is pretty interesting. Canada is now probably the most vaccinated country um, oh, really? uh, in in the world. Yeah, I think they're slightly ahead, maybe, of Israel, um, and they have announced their plans of what they are doing, which sounds really reasonable. So I think they're in August they're opening their borders with the U.S. Mm, and uh, and then in September they're basically opening their borders to the world, uh, hmm. you know. And uh, the only thing that you need is you need proof of vaccination with the vaccine that has been approved in Canada. Uh, so which basically means Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson. Um, and and for those vaccines, then you can basically come in, and yeah, and and you know it's. You know, if you're vaccinated, you can travel, and you can travel out. CDC's uh, I was looking at the CDC's guidelines in the U.S. So in the U.S., the, the so the, the the Delta variant fear in the U.S. is different. There are pockets in the U.S. which are severely undervaccinated, and therefore there could be localized flare-up, and then you don't know what localized flare-ups do. Um, so that's that fear, but. The CDC guideline in the U.S. too is that basically, if you're vaccinated, uh, then actually their their thing is don't test, go <laughs> wherever you want to go. Of course, if you have to go somewhere, who wants you to test? Then you test. Um, <laughs> but this is a little bit of of all those things that's going on. Singapore again, you know, is trying to vaccinate quickly, but they're you know further behind in terms of the total sort of vaccinations, so they had to tighten restrictions, which is sort of what our situation is. Our vaccination rates are you know, around 12%, 12% fully vaccinated, which is pretty low, which is why we are um, sort of in lockdown across, mm. you know, I guess, three major major cities. And until that changes, you know, at least about 60, 70%, I would think is probably in some number. That's my guess. I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. <laughs> and, mm. and I don't have to make these decisions, which is really a fortunate position to be. I feel really bad for those people who have to make these decisions because these are tough decisions to make. Um, but yeah, so I think that's the I think the situation with Delta variant. But you know, I guess there'll be more. We would know more as these particular countries which have vaccinated um, with a reasonably high percentage. So Canada is, I think, expecting to get to 75 percent fully vaccinated. And you know, part of the I think part of the game there is to vaccinate um, twelve and above. Right, that gives you larger coverage uh, of the population, right? So you get 12 and above, and you know, uh, if you're under 12, there's no vaccine yet, but maybe there will be a vaccine for the under 12s. But apparently, you don't under 12s don't need it. Well, that's what they say, uh, whoever they are. Uh, <laughs> but so, uh, but, but I think so, I, I think that's the key. You would get to see whether you know, um, like. Uh, the Canadians and the the, the UK folks um, and the Americans. The Americans seem to be. Uh, I I actually quite like what is happening right now in Canada. I, I like that approach where the, while they're vaccinating at a furious pace, there's a lot of vaccines. Apparently, like you know, they're basically like inviting people to take the shot. <laughs> Please mm. take the shot. Um, they have not yet gone mask free. I think which is really smart. Um, you know, like I mean, putting on a mask might be an inconvenience. But it's a small inconvenience to have uh, versus, you know, lockdowns and all these other things, right? So mm. I don't know what their plan is. 
and I haven't actually looked at the fine print as their plan is post um, post this date, you know, August and September that they've got whether masks are required or not. But it looks like there might be some guidance around masks in indoor places and things like that, at least until they have uh, more surveillance data. It's interesting. I'm just looking at our, our word and data uh, org, and they've got Canada is number one. The share of people that are fully vaccinated sits uh, just above 50% at the time of recording and over 70% for the first mm. vaccination. Um, behind them is the UK at uh, over 50% fully vaccinated and just under 70% partly vaccinated. And Australia is down at around about 12% fully vaccinated and just under 30 uh, partly. But what's interesting, right, is you talk about the Freedom Day and you switch over to Bloomberg and you, you see that the UK is recording 40,000 new cases a day, um, which is looks like the, the second highest, like not the second highest day, but the, they're in the second peak, if you like, after that, that one a year ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That might not be problematic though, right? I mean, so it depends on what... So the data from White House that I've read was suggested that 99.7% of the hospitalizations right now are among the unvaccinated. Hmm. So, I, I mean, uh, counting cases, but if they're moderate to mild, then probably doesn't matter as much. Again, we don't know what the side effects are or this long COVID thing that people are talking about. But um, I, I think that's there's this danger of case count versus outcome count right and what really matters is the outcome count so I, th I think the focus at some point has to be on outcomes if people are not dying um, and mm. people are not seriously ill that they need ventilation hospitalization and things like that the u.s data thus far seems to suggest that basically those people who haven't gotten vaccinated are getting seriously ill those people who have got vaccinated are fine their risk though is that those people they have a large population and you know like what 300 some million and if you've got only 50 percent of that fully vaccinated and that's part of the logic behind going after the 12 plus is that you just increase the percentage of people that you've been able to vaccinate um and otherwise you you know you have this potential for i guess muta mutations happening because you've got mm. this you know large cohort of folks that can help mutate um things so i mean i mean the hospitalization is relatively down compared to the previous peak in the UK. But the the other problem, I think, with the UK one is UK has has done what I call a bit of an experiment in some ways, right? Because they've got, they've given some people one shot of this and one shot of that. Um, actually, mm. Canada, my, my, my dad got, uh, who lives in Canada, he got one shot of Pfizer and one shot of Moderna. <laughs> 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 so his first shot was Pfizer and second shot was Moderna. Um, and in the UK, so the Canada has done that. They've given people one Pfizer, one this, one AstraZeneca, one that. And the UK has done the same thing. I don't know whether there is some correlation here, but you know those data sets would, would come out over time as to whether there's some difference in efficacy because of this mix mix and match and, and so on. But there's, there's a huge fall off, so to your point, um, around hospitalizations for COVID. Uh, peaked at over, I think it was 3,800 in January uh, this year. And even now with this second peak in cases, it's around about 600. So it's substantially down, even though their cases are going up. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Which means the vaccines basically are working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay then. So to shift gears from away from the numbers to has it impacted your investing at all? You know, we just talked about Netflix, and one of the things with Netflix is that you can see if you if you plot quarter on quarter net um, global ads for subscribers, you can actually see that last year they added a lot. This year they haven't added as much, nearly as much. So did they bring forward a lot of that demand last year? Uh, and will this tail, this, if there is a tail of cases and lockdowns, lead to any kind of difference? Or is it going to be like better? Is now an opportunity to buy internet and e-commerce? Is it not? do those things even matter to you or is it more like structural things? Like you wouldn't buy Netflix because of COVID. You might buy it because of other reasons like gaming. Yeah. So I think it's more, for me, it's more the latter uh, exactly as you said. So, you know, you might want to own Netflix because you think that they're innovative and they're going to get into these other markets that have been underpenetrated and mm. they're getting into these other verticals that would expand their revenue opportunities. Um, I mean, what I think, I think some structural changes have happened and that's like, I mean, I wasn't a very prolific online shopper because I kind of like, you know, like I like looking at stuff and shopping if I have buying and I, I'm a very specific shopper. So I'm the only online shopping I used to do is like, well, I bought my car online and uh, I bought, you know, I buy my Apple goods online, but, <laughs> but, but a lot of the stuff I actually just, you know, would actually look at it and then buy I've just, you know, like I've just discovered the convenience of being completely online. It's really good. They actually drop stuff at your door and it comes to you. And if you don't like it, you can send it back and it's really good. And, you know, people like Amazon, they're like really cool. They, you know, they, they're delayed. They give you the refund. The stuff still arrives. You know, now you have like, you know, you've got your money back and you've still got the stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really different experience, right? So I, I think it'll, there'll be some structural changes, and I think the other structural changes, people would probably, this hybrid work environment is here to stay. Um, that has some impact, right? I mean, it not just has an impact. It's not about just tele-conferencing uh, software, whether it's Zoom or whatever else, right? It's not just about that, but it's about technology and software that would be used. I think those are longer-term tailwinds that are here to stay. I think digitization of workplaces, you know, using modern tools, I think that's going to accelerate. Um, E-commerce, I think, has got a, you know, decent lift. Um, of course, you're going to see fluctuations, right? I mean, you know, everybody's buying online now, whether it's from Kohl's or from Kogan or whatever, or Amazon. Some of that is going to shift back to physical. But again, I think there's a there's a good, I think, tailwind here. Um, same thing for Netflix. I mean, Netflix, I think Netflix, actually, this analyst also need to think about netflix has now that we have a lot of choices there's this behavior about canceling things and coming back and that is related to content production schedule right so people actually come back to netflix because oh stranger things season four is now here and that mm. is going to actually drive net ads and then one of the problems of the pandemic has been the shooting of movies was not happening right i mean yeah. you know there was like exactly so there's a backlog of in terms of content production that has to happen but when that content hits there's going to be people who are going to come back who might have churned out who are going to come back so oh, yeah. you know but again but that's something to consider but that, the other thing to consider is when it's going to be true for different streaming platforms the other thing to consider would be that they've got 200 million people out of 
you know, 7 billion people on earth, let's say, you know, you divide it by four, uh, that's the number of households that you, or five or whatever, you know, one point whatever billion you can think is the potential market in terms of like, you know, number of um, subscriptions they could sell. So, that, you know, it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder ask and they're doing these things about mobile and so on in different places, whether it's Indonesia or India or in Latin America, but, you know, they have small, they have different plans that they're, um, that they're selling. So I think you have to think about that as well. But I, I really think, I mean, most of the big gains, like the huge multi-bagger gains have happened, right? Those come from that, you know, riding that S-curve, but mm. Netflix is still a large company that is still probably growing top line at 20, 25%. And it probably can do that for maybe another decade, right? Yeah. And if you can do that for another decade, well, you know, if you buy it at the right price, that's a mm. nice blue chip type holding to have in your portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the way to think about Netflix. You know, I personally don't hold it, at least not now. Um, yeah. But yeah. Me neither. But um, okay, so coming towards the end of the show, um, we'll drop some, maybe drop some ideas. One thing on that that I've been looking at is the amount of people that I speak to who are taking off as soon as the world is majority vaccinated and they're going overseas and they're going on a holiday is basically everyone. <laughs> um, and so that's something that this is not necessarily talking about lockdowns, the recurrence of lockdowns, but maybe the removal of them in say 12 months, like from 12 months from today, the vaccination rates is hard to see us going into too many lockdowns in my opinion just as a general kind of broad stroke. Um, and if that is the case, I think more people will be open to the ideas of travel. You'll be looking at things like Booking Holdings, which is the US owner of Priceline. Um, even here in Australia, what if um, businesses that can that can do that um, and facilitate that transaction in a scalable way could bounce back pretty quick, I think. Um, not, I'm not saying that's like not a forecast. It's just an interesting thing to keep in mind. I think if you're looking at what worked in the pandemic was these companies bringing forward a lot of um, ads. So whether that was Netflix, whether it was Disney, um, any of these companies, Microsoft, Google, what's the next iteration of that? I think it might be um, actually return to air quotes normal. Um, I will throw one idea out. Um, and this is a company that I promised at the top of the show that I would mention, which is a company called AVA Risk Group. So that's AVA Risk Group. It's on the ASX under the ticket code AVA. Um, small cap company. I'll just get the market cap up. It is around about $100 million as we record this. So we interviewed um, CEO Rob Broomfield for, um, for our Rockets program, for our Beyond program. It's a company that was between our 10 and 20. So what I mean by 10, our top 10, obviously are our top 10. And then the companies that fall in between 10 and 20, we also release as bonus reports with the CEO interviews that we did with them. And um, so what does it do? Ava Risk Group basically has three divisions. It's got a business called uh, Future Fiber Technologies or FFT, which if you think about an airport um, that might have a fiber optic cable going around it and when when someone grabs on the fence to try and get on the runway, it sends a vibration through the fiber optic cable and that pings back and sends a signal to the security team. It's also used on things like undersea pipes, um, you know, all these different things, like even just monitoring of conveyor belts, which is the exciting part of the business. Second business is BTQ Solutions, which is all about access control. So um, this is sold through distributors and and through big um, international businesses. But basically think about like biometric scanners, um, 
you know, if you've got a, a server room that you need secured to only IT personnel, how do they get in? How are the doors encrypted? Whatever. Finally, they have a div- division called services. And services is um, a business that is a logistics business, but it's not like a normal logistics business. So imagine you're taking gold from here to there, from a vault to another vault, and it needs you know, an armored vehicle on the way. They don't actually do it. They actually outsource the physical nature and they, they have contractors. They just effectively book them and m- make money from that. So they have wider margins. Um, so why, I guess this is a business that sounds exciting. Probably the most exciting part of it, we think, is actually within the FFT business, the future fiber technologies. They're actually going to use, and they already have started with this. They've got some um, programs and projects already underway, which is where they effectively use the, the cable, the fiber optic cable to um, adjust and adapt to a, a conveyor belt on the mining site. And these conveyor belts, I don't know if you know this, but can be 10 kilometers long. You know, there's not small conveyor belts. So if they go down for one minute or one hour or one day, it's huge, huge cost involved in unraveling that conveyor belt, um, putting a new one on, finding a new one, repairing it, whatever. So this is all about them being able to sense um, if there's like a, a roller or a pin that's out of place or whatever. It's a really exciting business in that regard. So why didn't it make the cut? I'll give you two things. One is that we couldn't reliably predict the future. So one of the things is that we know we're not going to be specifically correct. We try to be generally right. Um, the business itself see, is quite lumpy because it tends to get contracts and, and win tenders that can come in and, and then can look profitable. Then the next half, it's not doing too well. What it what happens, I find when, I don't know, you have butted up against this a few times, mate, which is when you analyze a business that is focused on government tenders and security and defense, they can't give you details over what they're working on. And you can't even get customer testimonials because they can't talk to you either. So it's very hard to get that see-through as an analyst or as an investor. So we couldn't really forecast that. And we like businesses that we can forecast. The business has high margins in one of its segments. Um, but I guess the cohesion between the segments is our other uncertainty. It's not necessarily a concern. It's just, if you look at recent numbers, um, it looks like the services business, which does that logistics, is actually the business that has grown a bit, um, where we want to see the other business growing, which is the high margin business, sticky, stickier business. Um, and it's kind of been the other way around. Um, so this is a company called Ava Global. It's on the ASX, ABA. We've written about it on RAS Media. Um, it's a business, it's probably deserving of a spot on the watch list, at least it's on mine. Um, it's not one that I own. Um, it's a fascinating business. Um, worth If any of our listeners want to reach out on Twitter and say, I've done a bit of work on it, here's what I think, by all means, I'm just looking for clarity around the actual outlook and the pipeline. So that's my kind of pitch at the end of the show. Anirban, um, do you have anything for us? Or do you even, do you know Ava Risk Group? No, actually, no. I thought it was fascinating the uh, the overview, and I think you know you're spot on in terms of not being able to forecast this as hard. Do they have a backlog that they give, uh, or there's no uh, like you know backlog of contracts that the one that hasn't been hasn't turned yet into revenue? They give you, um, I guess, it's more like qualitative feedback, so they don't necessarily quantify exactly how much is going to be this or whatever they do have they give you this much as we believe is recurring in nature this much we don't they have one big deal with the indian um 
Ministry of Defense, and they actually just licensed. This is the biggest deal they've ever done for the fiber technologies business, and they actually licensed that out. Um, so a, a contractor in India actually implements the fiber, um, but they just effectively say, "Okay, so this is the this is actually the way it works." When we talk to them, this is the way they're describing it. Is so we've got the software panel. This is as in I'm Ava Risk Group. We've got the software panel. We've got the credentials to make the network work. Once the contractor installs them, they send us a message to say, can you please activate it? And then that way, Ava can get paid. Um, mm-hmm. So it's activated or not until it's they're, they're paid, do they activate it? And then they move on to the next segment of the, of the line. And so this is a business that's had a big, big, big contract and they're looking to win more of these. But how do you know? My question is always, how do you know that another one of these is around the corner? Um, it's pretty hard to know unless they, they tell you, like, we think this business is X size and we think we can capture this much, but, you know, I'm used to zero and Apple. Recurring revenue. <laughs> Into it. <laughs> you know? Some form of recurring revenue. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting company. As you said, I think it is deserving of being on a watch list for further research if somebody's interesting. I think that that's the right right call. I like, I like that. Hmm. I was going to give you a quick, I'll give you a stock, uh, a quick one. Um, I'll make it short in the interest of time. Um, so the, the stock I'm going to pitch is a company called Okta. Uh, the oh, yeah. code is OKTA. Um, if you are familiar with single sign-on, basically you can, for example, use uh, Google single sign-on or Apple single sign-on or Facebook single sign-on. Basically, you can use credentials at one place to sign on into multiple apps, websites, and things like that. That makes, makes password management Easy. Now, this seems like a easy, easy, relatively easy problem, but in a corporate context, this is really hard because corporates have, you know, and big enterprises might have thousands of apps that they're using internal and external. You want to have them managed using a corporate uh, password management, identity management system, uh, and that identity management system is provided by Okta. It manages, you know, passwords. It manages the identity, makes sure that only those people who should have access to certain apps have those access. If somebody leaves, then their access is terminated. It can do, you know, multi-factor authentication. It can, you know, prompt you to, you know, it seems like a relatively simple thing, but it's really, really important, especially in this sort of distributed global sort of way in which business is being done. Then I, I think, you know. This business, people always think, well, why should you use this versus, you know, why not use Google? And, you know, Google is a competitor. Maybe Microsoft is a competitor. But one of the things for enterprises is that they don't like using services from big tech if they can avoid it, <laughs> uh, especially for things that are critical because big tech tends to, you know, some of the big tech at least tends to look at things, how you're doing things, and therefore you might be hesitant to use their particular services. So Okta is the specialist. And I think it has a big tailwind in terms of uh, an idea called zero trust, which is a framework for security, which basically says that you basically don't want to trust anyone. And we can talk about this another time. But in that one of the pillars of that of that framework is to have an identity management solution that can essentially ensure that zero trust is satisfied, uh, at least at the handshake level of ensuring that you have access to applications, right? And there are other components of it. So I think that's a big tailwind for um, for a company like Okta, in especially in the face of all the hacks that are happening, you know, the solar wind attack and um, you know, the attack mm. on um, Microsoft Exchange and things like that. So I think in the context in the world, you know, or we talk about these, you know, we hear an AFR has these headlines about, you know, that hack happened and this hack happened. And, you know, the school websites were, for example, down not too long ago. 
a lot of the stuff that happens is compromise on machines, compromise on machines, typically compromise on passwords happens mm. because of compromise on passwords. So, you know, um, and compromise on identity. So I think this company still has a long runway. It's a relatively large company. I think it's probably what, about 35 odd, you know, again, I'd say 35 yeah. odd billion the share price around 40, 32, 32 US billion. There we go. So without even looking at it, uh, you know, pretty yeah, close, 32. Yeah. So I still think, you know, it's good. It can still be a nice, decent multi-bagger. I do own the shares for this company. So um, do I. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, well, excellent. Yeah. yeah. yeah we're, hopefully misery doesn't love company. But um, so interesting here, um, Todd McKinnon, who's the CEO and co-founder, when I saw him interviewed, I thought, he looks like he's about 25. And then he was on, uh, is it Mad Money? <laughs> and <laughs> is it with Jim Cameron? And he's uh, mm-hmm. and, and he goes, oh, you're not many people know this, but you're about as old as me. And Jim's bald and, and looks like an older guy. And Tom, if you've seen the photo of Tom McKinnon, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, yeah. I own, I own Octa shares, and um, I think that the deal with Ortho, which is a complementary business, pretty much developer focused. Ortho is any of our hardcore software engineers will know what I'm talking about. Um. I thought that was a really good deal that expands the TAM and also pretty much consolidates Okta as the number one in independent um, zero trust. But what I th- what I find really fascinating about Okta is when you listen to the quarterly calls, just the clarity of the management team. I find mm-hmm. it I find it so refreshing um, to hear Todd and the team speak. And, you know, as investors, and if you go through uni and you study finance or whatever, you're taught, you know, you've got to calculate the P/E ratios. This is what the profit's going to be. At the end of the day, if you have someone, I think if you have someone like that running your company, it takes away a lot of that, those concerns that you can have. Um, and he's done lots of interviews. He did one with Invest Like the Best about how he built the business. Um, it's fascinating. And I think, yeah, Beyond just single sign-on, people probably don't appreciate what that means. But um, basically, I think over 7,000 apps now integrate into Okta's workforce, so into Okta's um, platform. So if you think about that, it's basically the hub where you go to get everything. Um, exactly. And that's that's pretty tremendous in terms of the ARPU, like the, the cross-sell, upsell potential of the business. Um, we don't use it because our business is so small, but I can definitely see a time where we would and a lot of businesses would be using it so fascinating octa cool uh okay excellent i did not know that you own the shares of this okay i'm going to give you uh, and we are exceeding time but i'll give you this <laughs> okay. odd uh, uh i call it the silicon valley tree okay. okay so this is the silicon valley tree so you would observe a lot of the excellent second generation sort of SaaS companies mm-hmm. second generation as in the you know, octa's generation are from people who worked at high held high-level yeah. positions at Salesforce. Yeah. So uh, Todd uh, was, I think, leader of engineering or something like that yep. in, in Salesforce. VPNG yep. uh, at Salesforce. Uh, and so Mark Benioff has the unique credentials of actually spinning off a lot of these people. Um, many a times what uh, Salesforce ventures have done, which is they have a venture arm, they would mm. actually fund these companies, which I think is a really great culture. The other thing that people wouldn't know is that um, Salesforce has an app store. Um, or mm, it's the not called the app. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a you know, the, uh, marketplace or the app, whatever. It's something it's called. Uh, yeah. is, it, is it called the marketplace or is it called the, um, yeah, or app exchange? I think it's called the Salesforce app. I think it's called the app exchange or 
markets. Anyways, I'll, again, the specifics are probably not that important. But so uh, Benioff, uh, I think, looked up to Steve Jobs as you know as one of those leaders that you know you look up to, like many people do. Um, I think Benioff has worked at Apple. So Benioff was actually had the luxury of seeing the iPhone before the iPhone was released. Like, you know, in a true Steve Steve Jobs fashion, he would show it to his favorite people. Here's what I'm working on. This, I think, is really cool. This is going to change the world. And he mm-hmm. told Benioff that, hey, I'm going to, you know, going to have to do this thing called the App Store. And Benioff looked at him and said, well, but how are you going to do the App Store? That's a trademark that Salesforce owns. <laughs> <laughs> and you know why Salesforce owns the trademark? It is because when Benioff was starting Salesforce, Steve Jobs told him, you should build this app store for all these apps on the web. <laughs> so it was an idea from Jobs to Benioff. So Benioff said, okay, you know, this was your idea. We can live with a different name. So we're going to give this as a gift from Salesforce to Apple for you to have wow. it for the iPhone. I think it's just pretty app powerful. Exchange, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's pretty powerful. I think, you know, this, uh, this idea of an ecosystem and of an ecosystem of players that, in, you know, inspire uh, each other, right? You know, so Jobs inspiring, you know, Benioff, Benioff inspiring all these other people. And you're not really jealous of these people because they're all successful you know, it's like seeing your old children coming and, you know, doing great things. And even mm-hmm. maybe they're competing with you. And that's fantastic. I, I think I really like that. Uh, yeah. And so that's one of my, when I'm looking for a company, sometimes I actually look for these trees and I find this tree is very interesting. If you can find an interesting tree, it sort of talks to that culture. Anyways, mm-hmm. that was an aside. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. Um, I own shares in Salesforce as well. So um, full disclosure there. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Um and yeah, there are quite a few people that have come out of Salesforce and done a lot of things. So um, maybe we can spend a whole episode on that in the future. But mate, um, we're at 56 minutes. We said we'd keep it below 40. So we've done well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's, it's always good to end with some 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 companies as well. So um, we talked about Ava Risk Group. We talked about Altium. We talked about Netflix, air quotes, missing expectations. Um, Bezos going to space, the Delta variant and what that means and how maybe we can play that. Um, talked about Okta and ended with Salesforce. Um, so great, mate. As always, it's a pleasure. Um, if people want to find out more about you and if they want to access that payments, um, the digital payments report, and also just join Seven Investing, how would they do that? Oh, they could just go to uh, seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe, or they can follow the show notes below and get uh, $10 off <laughs> using ten, ten the Rask, uh, 10 buckaroos off of the using the Rask. Uh, uh, promo code and as mm-hmm. uh, Owen would say that Rask actually makes no money off it uh, um, mm-hmm. so but, you know uh, Owen does it because he likes to and uh, we thank him for that yeah yeah it's great well I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it was an awesome service so um, I'm just appreciative you get to spend some time with me each week to share these insights so mate always appreciated and um, yeah we look forward to hearing from everyone else on Twitter if you've, if you've got some thoughts for us next week give us some links to pop into our spreadsheet so we can talk about them um, we put these in this morning I, I should say I didn't put them in the other half did um, so um, yeah always a pleasure mate thanks for chatting thanks for the chat For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. 
After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.